0: They were doing on me an ultrasound. I'd been to see my physician and had some discomfort on the right side and he wanted to be sure that I didn't have something called gallstones or gallbladder disease. So I had the wonderful experience of having a man spread over my abdomen the equivalent of grape jelly and then begin to run a device up and down my abdomen and he kept going over one part and he had me roll over on my side and And I rolled back, and he says, wait just a minute. And then he brought in the uh, radiologist. The radiologist took a look, and he said, let's take a look at the spleen. They looked at the spleen. Let's take a look at the stomach. And if any of you have ever seen an ultrasound, it looks like Star Wars. It's hard to tell what's going on. And I was trying to figure out what they were finding that I didn't know about. And uh, when they got all through with what they did and called my doctor, he called me and said, you've got a 10-centimeter mass on your liver. Now, the week before, some of you who are affiliated with Grace know that we buried a young missionary named Keith Lusk, who at the age of 35 had died of cancer. He left behind his wife, a little girl who was four years old, to whom he left an incredible videotape about life. And I began to say, Lord, is it over? There had been going on in my life up until that time. As I approached for me the age of 40 a sobering time in my life and I was noticing changes in the way I was thinking and doing and acting and reacting to things and now I thought that in watching Keith Lusk I had seen a preview of my end further tests were ordered but before I went down to Scripps Hospital in San Diego La Jolla I sat down with Sharon and our three kids and we told them all that could be bad and all that could be good that's a sobering time when you look a 16 year old a 12 year old and a 10 year old in the face and say we want you to know from the beginning exactly what could be going on I could die in five or six months I went down to La Jolla and laid under more machines cat scan and an MRI The cat scan was a thriller the MRI was an experience In an MRI, for some of you who may know, they put you in a little trench and shove you in a tunnel. And the top of the machine, I measured it, is four inches from your nose. They place above you a mirror that's four inches by 14 inches. As you look at yourself, it's the hope that you will avoid claustrophobia, but as you lay there, you look like you're in a coffin. So I chose simply to close my eyes and let this thing do what it did. I'm more than happy to report to you that there is nothing on my liver. If there was something in Henry Mayo, it wasn't there uh, ten days later at Scripps Hospital in La Jolla. But as I've been sobered up and have had time now in three months to reflect about some of the things that could have been wrong, a number of things have happened to me. Number one, I have ceased being diplomatic, if I ever was, and I've become much more direct. When you think you're going to die, life gets real simple in a hurry. Number two, I found myself before these last three months, but certainly in these last three months, going back and not letting the Bible become to me a sophisticated, uh, intricate web of principles that many people build into a morality and an ethic and then sit on the sidelines and say how nice it is, but they do not practice the structure of of decision-making that they've created from the Bible. They simply observe it and study it and have it filed somewhere. But when push comes to shove, when they have to make those decisions that sometimes are made only within themselves, with no one else but the Lord around, it's my observation that the system got too complicated. So I began to say, Lord, I've got to simplify my life. I've got to reduce myself to those things that I believe are absolutely fundamental and father from now on when it comes to dealing with people I'm going to be gentle and kind but I'm going to be direct diplomacy leads to the problem that I want to address if you'll open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20 for some of you who have been at our fellowship you know that this is a series that I preached a few months ago and when you mentioned that you're going to teach on the Ten Commandments that is not exactly a high draw thriller because most people when they think of the Ten Commandments have unfortunately not looked closely at the scriptures they believe that the Ten Commandments belongs to the uh, ten things that fundamentalists suggest for the killing of fun they believe that the Ten Commandments retard in some way ones vitality and enjoyment and sensitivity to life and Deep in their Schofield Bibles dispensationally. Dr. C.I. Schofield almost unwittingly in his notes surrounding the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. Also his notes in the book of Galatians. Seems through dispensationalism to say we don't worry about the Ten Commandments anymore. I hope I'm not misrepresenting him too badly. But I submit to you if you're a student of the scriptures you know that nine of the Ten Commandments are repeated verbatim in the New Testament. When someone comes to the Ten Commandments, besides thinking that they're in the past, they also think that many times that they're not applicable today, that they don't work. One of the struggles we have with that is we've never gone far enough in our study of the commandments to find out why did God give them? Did he have nothing better to do that day with Moses on Sinai? Or is there behind each of the commandments, and in fact the two tables of the law, a rationale that because of their restrictiveness we've stayed away from? This morning I want to talk to you, as Paul said, about lying. You see, now we're talking fundamental. It's fundamental. It occurs second to last in the Ten Commandments, and I'd be interested if we went around the room to find out how many of you received in Sunday school a pencil that had the Ten Commandments on it or a ribbon and you memorize them and, and you get the first five or six really good. But when you get toward the end, it kind of fades. The reason is that we believe sometimes, almost unconsciously, that toward the end of the ten, it's it's not that important. Let's let's take care of that relationship with God and, and let's take care of some of the other things in the first tablet. But as once you get past murder and adultery, don't worry. And unfortunately, in our society, lying is not wrong. It's a custom. It's the way people are doing things. In Exodus chapter 20, we have the first record of the Ten Commandments given to God, given by God to Moses on Mount Sinai. I want you to look right down at number 16. As you look down these, some of them may be kind of interesting. You may be asking which of the ten is not repeated in the New Testament. That is the one regarding the Sabbath. Is not repeated in the New Testament. The one that concerns me is found in Exodus 20, verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Some of you have a footnote beside that, or some of you have a reference, if you have a reference Bible, that refers you to Deuteronomy 5.20. This morning, I want to ask some critical questions about lying. First of all, what did God mean in the ninth commandment? For those of you students who are Bible students, and uh, I don't know how many of you are familiar with the original language, but if you went to Deuteronomy 5.20, where Moses is reiterating to the generation that's about to enter the land of promise, you'll find that he uses a different word for the word false. In Exodus chapter 20, his word used for false is a word that is to talk about the nature of lying. It basically means, in fact, lying or that which is untrue. The word used in Deuteronomy 520 picks up the spirit of the liar. There are some of us, maybe you're in this room this morning, who believe that there's a right reason for telling a lie and believe that sometimes sincerity makes it all right to in some way falsely represent a matter. And that's why it seems that God in Deuteronomy 520 used a word that communicates the spirit of lying. And the word there for false means empty, empty. Or insincere I'll give you a a quick footnote right away Don't be fooled Sincerity never made a lie right And that's one of the reasons I think the Lord changes the word Through Moses in the book of Deuteronomy That we see the nature of a lie It is an untruth, That which is not consistent with the facts as they really are And then the spirit of what makes a person do that is not really one of sincerity and fullness and concern but it's empty and insincere is the root of a lie this commandment comes to a society the jewish culture that had a desperate fear based upon this commandment of a false witness william Barclay, in his book on the ten commandments an intriguing text indicates that when the jews took and had a case in the days of the old testament and the new And a man was found guilty, and he was led out to the place of execution. So afraid were they that a false witness, a malicious witness, had come and borne false testimony, that they left the guard at the court, a courier. And should anyone show up at the court after the convicted was on his way out to execution, the courier was sent immediately, the convicted was brought back, the trial was reopened, and they considered again. As the convicted went to the place of execution, He had a person who went before him and that person spoke the name of the person and their crime and invited anyone who had any information pertinent to the case to please let them know. Should a person come to the fore, the procession would be stopped and they would return to court so that no false witness would ever be born. The Jews built a number of safeguards into their system. Number one. According to the word of God in Leviticus 19.12, they're warned against making false oaths to swear over something that is not true. In Deuteronomy 17.6 and 7, as some of you know, based upon the confrontation passage that the Lord Jesus gives us in Matthew 18.15-17, through 17, no matter was considered to be true unless it had two or three witnesses. In their system, that was the only way something could be established as truth if two or three agreed, in fact, that such was the case. That was their safeguard. In essence, they had a minimum maximum. It had to be that way or it wasn't the truth. And also, we'll show you in just a minute, that were a person to bear false witness and it be discovered that their testimony was false, According to the law Deuteronomy 19:16 through 24, the person who bore false witness then took the punishment of the person they testified against. Now, what does it mean? It means that lying is repulsive to God. Proverbs 6:19, God hates a false witness who breathes out lies. Proverbs 19:5 and 9, false witnesses will be punished and will perish. Turn to Matthew 15, 19, and you'll see where false witness really comes from. Lying is not the problem. Unfortunately, it's the symptom. Forbidden by the Lord from the commandments. Forbidden by the Lord Jesus in his life, reiterated by him. You'll see at the end this morning, the Apostle Paul picks it up in the book of Colossians. But in Matthew chapter 15... Verse 19, the Lord Jesus made it abundantly clear that lying is a symptom. It's a heart problem. Matthew 15:19, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, thefts. And there it is, false witness and slanders. People do not be fooled today. Understand that a lie comes from a heart that needs desperate spiritual attention. That if lying is something that you struggle with, and if you're honest, most of us do, then you have to begin to understand that it is a problem that is rooted much deeper than some etched words on some stone brought down from Sinai by Moses. But the Lord Jesus shows that it is a heart problem. It is something that must be dealt with. And many of you may be saying right now, Pastor, this is, uh, this is the master's college. We don't lie here we don't tell falsehoods we don't do that I want to help you by answering another question about lying this morning not what does it mean because basically it is that which is not consistent with the facts and reality as they are that is pushed along by a spirit of selfishness and emptiness and insincerity and it's really an indicator that there's a heart problem and some of you who may be considering, well this is something I know this already let me give you How can you break this commandment? First of all, you can start by telling whoppers. You say, well, are whoppers recorded in the Bible? There are many of them. I picked up one of the first ones I found in the book of Genesis 27, verses 18 through 19, where Jacob looks at his dying father, Isaac, and says with his mother's encouragement, I am Esau, thy firstborn. What a boy. He lied. It was a bold-faced whopper. You can lie that way, but most of you, if you're honest, will say, you know, Tom, I don't lie that way. I know that. Most of us are not given to to big whoppers. However, some of us are into half-truth. So was Abraham. You'll remember when he introduced his wife twice to foreign kings, he said, gentlemen, meet my sister. That was half-right. She was a relative, but he knew that the foreign people with whom he had to deal were very ethical. They only married widows. Therefore, they killed the husband so that they could remain pristine. Murder was not a problem for them. So Abraham said, Lord, here I am, and my Lord Pharaoh, my Lord Abimelech, please meet Sarah. My half sister. Uh, how would you ladies feel if your husband introduced you that way to gathering? Hi, this is my sister. <laughs> That's a half truth. Remember this equation. A half truth equals a whole lie. That was a lie. He mixed false with truth. What he did, in fact, was just leave a few things out. Some of us do that. Were you on time to chapel? Yeah, I was within 100 feet of the door when it started. Did you finish the assignment? As much as one can, I did. We're good at it, aren't we? Children learn it fast. What did you do? I'm not sure. Some of you, when God by his grace brings someone into your life and you get married and you start raising kids, you're going to learn that they lie by nature. That's automatic. There's another way to lie. There's an acted lie. Do you remember the story of the Gibbonites in Joshua chapter nine? They showed up with holes in their shoes and stale bread, and uh, their donkeys were all worn out, and their water, their wine skins were all worn out. And they, oh, here we are. This was after the Battle of Ai. Joshua is defeated at defeated the Jerichoites. He's taken two battles to take the Aiites, and now he comes. And these guys walked in and said, oh, we've traveled a long way. We've come from afar. They knew that God said that the children of Israel might not make any covenant with the people in the land. And they said, look at our sandals. Our fortunes have holes. Look at our bread, moldy, old, crusty. We're worn. We have come a long distance. They were less than 10 kilometers southwest of I. What did they rely on? They lied by relying on appearances to convince You do that. Some of you, when you're dating, do that a lot. It's an amazing process to me as I do premarital counseling how many couples have lied together by appearances. Then after they get married, it's a stunning moment in life. She who used to come down looked like she was ready for the front of a model magazine. Shows up smelling like a rose and looking like a queen after they're married she wakes up and it looks like the witch of the Hespers has crawled out of a cave and the guys they're always so nice and all the clothes just perfect and they show up and they want them to think hey here he is they show up but when they get married the guy gets up in the morning he smells like a pig he looks horrible he doesn't take a shower anymore what happens Well, you say, that's not really lying. Yes, it is. Some of you spiritually rely on appearances to carry you. Underneath, you know what's really going on in your heart, but you follow the form in the hopes that the appearance will deceive the observer. It doesn't work. But we lie that way. Write it down, Leviticus five one. We lie by keeping quiet. You know that? According to the law in Deuteronomy and Leviticus 5, if you or I are listening or involved in some exchange of information and we know that a lie is being perpetrated and we simply keep quiet about it maybe we don't want to rock the boat maybe we don't want to bother someone maybe whatever reason we decide just to sit tight you've lied you have lied you have participated in the perpetration of a falsehood let me give you some others perjury is a lie no problem slander includes lie Detraction includes lie gossip includes lie boasting includes lie and let me give you a definition of flattery that often includes lying This is another thing that usually goes on between men and women they flatter each other flattery is what one will say to your face that they won't say behind your back That's flattery what someone will say to your face, but they won't say it anywhere else Exaggeration being a hunter and a fisherman great temptation after two or three years and the story gets told the deer gets bigger the shot distance gets further away you look like Daniel Boone and away we go and it's almost fishing when you start with a trout this way before it's over it's a whale and yet in our society we say well he's just a good storyteller that's a lie and it's wrong there are pragmatic lies let me give you some of those telling that which will make another happy even though it's not true As a pastor, the temptation sometimes when you're sitting down with people who are dying and they ask you, how am I doing? It's very difficult sometimes to tell them you're not doing well. You're going to be with the Lord. It's so easy to say, don't worry. You'll be fine. That's a lie. Telling what's needed to escape punishment. This is where those of you who have children and some of you someday who'll be raising them, you'll find out. You'll catch them red-handed in the act. Did you do that? Nope. Were you in the kitchen? No way. Who threw the bat through the window? I don't know. They have learned that if they said, I did it, Dad, there's trouble afoot. They go down the hallway. The Board of Education is applied to the seat of learning. A discussion takes place. Anybody with a cerebrum that's got blood in it Has enough savvy to say, I don't know. I'm not going to tell you and go down the hallway. That's a lie. Changing what you believe to be true, depending on who's listening or where you're talking, is a lie. I'm honest enough with you this morning to say to you that you lie, but we don't admit it. In funny ways, in quiet places, in strange situations, you've been tempted and you've succumbed to lying. God said, that is sin. He said it very clearly. The question is, why? Does he like to see us get punished? Does he like to be seeing us stone-faced when someone comes up with the truth or the truth is revealed about us? Why did God give the ninth commandment? That's an important question. I want to give you four reasons. Number one, according to John 8:44, the father of lies is who? the devil so for a person to tell a lie is to immediately attack and confuse the nature of God himself he who said of himself that he was truth Jesus said of himself I am truth and Jesus said I will send to you the spirit of truth so when you and I lie it's not just something that we're trying to cover up it's not just something we attack and confuse the very nature of God because lies are rooted in the fatherhood of the devil Not in our Father God. Number two, the reason God said don't lie is because it causes, it can cause, absolute chaos and breakdown in any life or society. You know, one of the interesting things I've learned about lying and people who lie, and I have my own struggle with that, is that liars develop great memories because they have to remember what they told someone in case it comes back to them incredible memories but their life eventually ends up in chaos write it down Isaiah 59, 3 and 4 Jeremiah 9, 3 Israel had gotten into such a pattern of lying and the land and their lives was in such chaos God said you must be removed and he removed them to Babylon some of you say well you know I don't know exactly how that works how many of you are going home for Thanksgiving? how many are going to fly home for Thanksgiving? anybody going to fly home? None of you are going to fly home. You're close. Okay, good. If you were going to fly home, let's say you went down to Burbank Airport. You showed up for the uh, Pacific Southwest Airlines flight 373 to San Francisco. And you have just gone breakneck speed to get there. You just barely make it by the time listed, 210 p.m. You walk up to the gate. You're all out of breath. And the guy looks at you and said, we're just kidding. It doesn't leave at 210. It left at 145. And you say, what kind of an airline is this? And I say, we lied. How would you like to sit down with a doctor who was a liar? Who lied? Can you imagine the chaos and the anxiety? Doc, how am I doing? You're doing fine, buddy. Go out and run 10 miles. Mile three, you drop dead. Can you imagine the chaos? Do you know the chaos that will invade your life? Why did God say, don't lie? He doesn't want your life and mine filled with chaos to be turned even more loose in our society than it is today it would be absolutely chaos you go through a stop sign a policeman pulls you over and you say to him what happened I thought stop was go no he said we're kidding on the other side we have something else you're in trouble can you imagine the chaos what if when you put on your left indicator you were lying and you meant right Huh? God just didn't sit up there and say, Well, today I'm going to send down ten rules that are really restrict life. Number one, I don't want my nature confused. Number two, I don't want these people to live in chaos. Number three, we won't take time to turn to it. Hosea 12.1, Jeremiah 23.14. Lying keeps rotten company. In the book of Hosea, it says they multiply falsehood and violence. If you don't think there's violence associated with lying, you haven't been around when someone found out they were lied to. Jeremiah 23, 14. False prophets commit adultery and walks in lies. I have never talked with an adulterer who can tell the truth. They have covered their escapade with a lie. God says don't tell lies because lies attract deadly companions. It seems innocent. It seems like it doesn't mean that much. And quite frankly, if you're very honest with yourself, the reason you tell a, a lie is to save your bacon or make you look good. It's not for any other reason. And every time you do it and you don't acknowledge it is wrong when it occurs in your life, I submit to you, deadly companions will follow. Finally, some of you in this room have been lied to. And you will understand Proverbs 16:28: A liar spreads strife. And separates the closest of friends. Proverbs 25, 18. The liar hurts. Listen to this. As does the club, the sword, and the arrow. How many of you think about it for a minute, have been lied to, and you'd a lot, you would have preferred that the person hit you. It hurt. Some of you have someone that you like very much. You may even think you love them. And you find out for some reason that they've lied to you. God does not delight in seeing his creatures hurt. Seeing his creatures struck in the spirit by an arrow or a spear or a club. God does not delight in watching us hurt. Therefore, he says, don't lie. Don't bear false witness against your neighbor. You say, what if I have a problem with lying? What should I do? Number one, you should understand, based upon Colossians 3, 9, and 10, that lying belongs to what you used to be, not what you are. Paul says, we have put these things off, and among them he lists falsehood. If you really want to sober up your experience about what life is really all about and how lying occupies an incredibly important place, read Revelation 21:25 to 27 and find out who will not be in heaven. Read Revelation 22:14 14 through 15 and find out who is outside and not near the tree of life. If lying is a habit with you, it's a habit you need to break. If it's a habit, you need to ask yourself a serious question because it's a heart problem. Do I really know Jesus Christ as my Savior? To continue in a cycle of lying without acknowledging it, confessing it and repenting it puts real question as to whether spiritually your heart is where it needs to be. For those of you who know the Lord and are tempted and will succumb to lying, it's our nature. I urge you, remember that it's sin. Even more importantly, remember why God gave it. He had a good reason. Perhaps the little boy's question to his Sunday school teacher applies best this morning to all the commandments, but especially to number nine. He asked his teacher, why did God write the Ten Commandments on stone? Very wise Sunday school teacher. He wrote them on stone so that they couldn't be bent. They can only be broken. Let's pray together.